Hey everyone, this is Charlie Shrem, and you're listening to Untold Stories. This is a show where we dive deep into the lives and personal histories of some of crypto's most influential leaders and find out how the crypto movement truly came to be. Let's dive in. That was such a great episode I did with Constantine Gladish. He's a super good friend of mine and really pioneering the space um, with growing and building technology, for example, with atomic swaps. If you don't know what atomic swaps are, they are more secure, better user interface, and easy to use to be able to transfer from one token to another without almost any risk. So you've heard of centralized exchanges, you've heard of the next level of decentralized exchanges. Well, my guest today, Constantine, with his company, AtomicWallet.io, really pioneered and built the infrastructure to be able to use atomic swaps. Costa was one of the first people to hire me uh, as an advisor in his company years ago when I first got out of prison and I owe him such a huge debt. I invited him to our wedding and he's such a great, great person. Costa holds a PhD in data science with five years of solid experience in blockchain and cryptocurrencies. I think even more than that, more than 10 years in, in IT, he's well known as the co-founder and CEO of Changely one of the largest cryptocurrency instant exchanges with over 2 million active customers monthly and a half a billion dollars in monthly turnover. But he didn't stop there. After with Changely, he decided to take the next step and launch Atomic Wallet. Atomic Wallet utilizes Atomic Swaps. It's a non-custodial wallet with over 5,000 users using it every single day, 20,000 people using it weekly mostly all over the world and we talked about that we talked about how we got into the industry how him and i actually met we talked about bitcoin about libra we talked about different exchanges getting hacked and how he actually saved someone from losing millions and millions of dollars we had such an amazing conversation and what his business path is so enjoy the episode guys I'm so honored that Untold Stories is sponsored by eToro. eToro is the smartest crypto trading platform and one of the largest in the world with over a trillion dollars in trading volume per year. What I really love about eToro is that the CEO has been around the Bitcoin space since 2012, so they really, really put their money where their mouths are. US customers, myself included, we can trade the most popular crypto assets, in fact, almost all of the ones that you want to trade with low but transparent fees. So you actually know what you're paying for everything. And that's really, really, really important. So if you're not ready to trade yet, you can practice building your portfolio with the eToro $100,000 virtual trading feature. So you can create this whole portfolio without trading with any real money to see how you'll do and you can learn all the different ins and outs without using any real money yet. And then once you're comfortable, you can enter the market and start buying and selling crypto for real. Best of all, one of my favorite features is that you can connect with 11 million other eToro traders in the world, myself included, and we can talk trading, charts, and all things crypto. So listen, head on over to eToro.com, links are in the show notes, and build your crypto portfolio the smart way. I want to thank and give credit to the first ever sponsor of Untold Stories, Scott Offer. Scott is a Bitcoin mining consultant, and I really want you guys to check out one of his coolest apps that's free to use. It's a Bitcoin mining profitability calculator that you can check it out before you get involved in mining 
or if you just want to learn more about whether mining is profitable and how it works. The website is cryptomining.tools. That's cryptomining.tools. You can enter your estimated uptime and get more realistic profit projections. It includes really cool features like the impact of the Bitcoin block reward having, which is actually coming up extremely soon. Their API allows you to embed profitability calculators and other live data directly into your own website, all for free. Also, if you're wondering which miner is the most efficient or has the best chance of breaking even, you should try out their interactive hardware comparison chart. So it's a hardware comparison chart. So you can compare all different types of miners for all different coins and tokens, and it's interactive. So you can play around with it. It's by far the best tool if you have any questions about mining or if you want to learn more about mining, it's the best tool you can check it out. As a mining consultant, Scott helps you make data-backed business decisions. He will be involved in the process if you want to buy a miner, if you want to sell a miner, if you have miners and need to get into data centers. I mean, if you follow Scott on Twitter, even if you're not in the mining industry, you learn so much. I follow him. It's super cool. You can check it out on Twitter or Telegram at Offered Scott. That's O-F-F-O-R-D-S-C-O-T-T. That's O-F-F-O-R-D-S-C-O-T-T. Again, I want to give a special thanks to Scott. You were my first sponsor when the show was just launching. Thank you so much. Untold Stories wouldn't be here without the amazing production company, Blockworks Group. A few months ago, I approached Blockworks Group and I said, hey guys, I want to do a show, Untold Stories. Can we make it happen? And these guys are the only event and podcast production company that I trust. Really, the show is powered by them and it wouldn't be here today without the amazing work of the BlockWorks Group team. So for access to all the premier digital asset conferences and to check out their other podcasts in their network that they produce, check them out at BlockWorksGroup.io. That's BlockWorksGroup.io. I promise you will not be disappointed. I'm super excited to have a really good friend of mine, Constantine Gladish, I call him Costa, on the show today. Costa, welcome, welcome to the show. Hey, hey, Charlie. I'm yeah, excited to be here finally. Costa, you you got into the crypto space and in, in Bitcoin, you you um, were part of the, the, the founding team. You were the co-founder of Changely, which is one of the largest um, instant exchanges in the world today with over 2 million active customers monthly and uh, a huge amount, hu- hundreds of millions of dollars in, in monthly turnover. Um, and then you ended up, you know, uh, moving on. And instead of being the founder of a, of a company that was part of a larger organization, you decided to not only start Atomic Wallet yourself um, and you've grown it to having, you know, around 5,000 users daily, um, which is which is a huge amount all over the world. But you're also on the forefront and you um, made people believe that Atomic Swaps, and I want you to tell us what Atomic Swaps are and why they're so important, you really made most people believe that atomic swaps can be a consumer product that we could all use because atomic swap up until really atomic wallet launched atomic swaps were one of those things that we kind of said yeah it's a cool idea it's you know being able to 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 go from one coin or token to the other from one blockchain to another transferring ethereum for 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 something else it sounds cool without needing a centralized exchange but in practice, how does it work 
And how do you make the user experience good enough in, you know, in these earlier years, going back three, four years ago, how do we make the user experience good enough where people would be comfortable using it on a day-to-day basis? Yeah, that's a really good question, Charlie. Uh, when we when I started Atomic Wallet, uh, we just thinking like uh, what I'm excited about the market and uh, what I'm excited like. Uh, we saw a lot of hacks uh, of different exchanges uh, like uh, stolen funds, like uh, blocked accounts, uh, etc. And we see like okay, and regulation is becoming stronger and stronger, like KYC, IML, and just and. Uh, I, uh, we saw a few tweets from Charlie Lee, uh, Satoshi, uh, Litecoin inventor. Uh, they just tweeted about now we have atomic swaps between Bitcoin and Litecoin, or between Litecoin and Decrypt or something. And we, I, I just saw how people like it, how they like idea. It's no counterparty and. Uh, no centralized middleware involved. Like uh, you shouldn't trust anyone. You should trust on the technology. And from my opinion, it's uh, like a spirit of the crypto. It's uh, decentralization, and it's uh, if you send one Bitcoin to any centralized exchange, you don't own this Bitcoin. And we started to to research how can we. How does that work? Okay, so so let's take a step back because a lot of our, a lot of our listeners, Costa, are new to Bitcoin or new to crypto, and they don't really understand things. So I like to kind of break break things down and explain. So there 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 are a bunch of different type of exchanges, and I think you're the perfect person to really explain to everyone, you know, the the landscape. So let's talk about trading Bitcoin, and and for the purpose of this conversation, let's just use the word Bitcoin and crypto for once. So when we talk about trading Bitcoin. We're talking about trading anything. Again, just to make it easier for the conversation so we don't have to say crypto or all these tokens and coins or whatever. So up until now, or up until a few years ago, um, and 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 you've seen so many hacks, um, a lot, almost every type of trading happens on centralized exchanges. Then there were decentralized exchanges. Then there were atomic swaps. Can you talk about the difference between the three, kind of how they work, what the problems are, and what you did to change that? Um... Uh... If you just look at five years ago, uh, it was a huge Bitcoin dominance on the market, about, I think, 90% or 95% of all the trading volume. It goes from Bitcoin to United States dollars or any fiat currency. And for sure, it's possible only on centralized exchanges. You cannot deposit dollars to blockchain. Uh, So uh, when the market started to change, like... The Bitcoin dominance uh, went down, and a uh, new type of assets, new type of technology uh, appears uh, appeared at the time. Uh, okay, uh, the more exchanges uh, uh, j- just started to integrate another coins, not Bitcoin, but so-called altcoins. Uh, and uh, people started to trade Bitcoin against some other altcoins like Ether or Litecoin. Uh, and it's also happening on centralized exchanges at the time. And centralized exchanges, they still uh, have maybe 90% of the market share. Uh, but once you deposit any crypto, even a Bitcoin or any other altcoin to the centralized exchange, you don't own that money. Actually, it's like a bank. Like keeping money at a bank. 
Right, exactly. Uh, and it's a bit concern for me. Like crypto is decentralized, but most of the operations are still happening on centralized services. Like a few huge companies still control the market. And it's a huge risk for everyone. What type of, um, you know, hacks did we see over the years? Of course, everyone remembers, you know, the Mount, the Mount Gox hack. But um, what are some of the lesser known hacks? I mean, you see exit scams. You see um, exchanges actually getting hacked. You see a lot of weird things like someone being able to get um, the API key of an exchange. Do you remember this? You remember when someone got the API key, but his the of like thousands of users, but the API key didn't allow for withdrawing money. It only allowed for trading. So what this hacker did was, is he pumped the token, some random token, like super high from all these people's accounts. He used all their Bitcoin and dollars to pump this token, like a thousand percent. And then he was holding all those tokens. So then he sold it, his for a super high price to all the people that he was, he hacked into their accounts. Do you remember this? It was like a year ago or six months ago. It was on Binance, um, maybe. I don't remember the exact uh, situation. Some crazy um, things happen. Yeah, but I know a few trading services. Uh, they own the API keys exchanges, and uh, they own a lot of API keys. They control a lot of funds, and they can pump everything easily. And it's it's the same situation. Like you trust. Some third party service, uh, you trust you found some third party, you, party service. Can you trust decentralized exchanges? Do they work? Um, honestly, I know only a few examples of uh, so called decentralized exchanges. What is a decentralized First, exchange and like how can it actually be decentralized or some different than others? Uh, actually, I see a few different types of decentralized exchanges. If you are talking about, let's say, IDEX, uh, it was one of the biggest decentralized, so-called decentralized exchange, but I call them non-custodial exchange. Like you deposit funds in a smart contract, but orders matching, they're happening like um, in centralized order book, like on some kind of a centralized server. And it's so-called uh, non-custodial exchanges. I like the idea because you can trade... Uh, with trading bots, and uh, but you 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 don't care that your funds can be stolen at least. Uh, and another part of decentralized exchanges, like fully decentralized exchanges, when the order book is located on on chain, like if you place any order, so it's happening in transaction and it reflects on the blockchain. How does it work on a decentralized exchange? Because a lot of people. Are reading about it, but they don't really understand. So with the with the normal exchanges that that we see all over, you know, Binance, Kraken, um, you have um, Mount, well, not Mount Gox, and <laughs> not Mount Gox anymore, but you have um, <laughs> you, have, you have thousands of exchanges. You have you know Bitthumb, and you have Oki Coin, and you have um, mm-hmm. you have Coinbase Pro and Gemini, and you have if you have all these exchanges, but these are places where you have to. Deposit your Bitcoin or your crypto, deposit your dollars and trust them. And a lot of them are like in the United States or Western Europe somewhere and they're regulated and they have banking and you trust them somewhat. But I mean, Costa, we saw, let me ask you a question. We saw like two exchanges in Canada in the past year 
that either got shut down or exit scams. There was the one last week. There was the Epstein one. It was like $12 million. And then there was Quadriga uh, CX. And Quadriga was like, I forget. There was a significant amount of money, $50, $100 million. I forget the exact number. Run away with. No one knows where it, where it is. I mean, did the guy die? Is he living in, in India somewhere? Is he living on a beach? I mean, but Canada is a Western, you know, country. It's first world regulations. You know, I don't like that term first world, but it's, no one would think that a, that, that that a regulated exchange in Canada would exit scam. And no one would think that two of them would exit scam uh, over the past year. I, I can't believe it. Yeah, it's, uh, I can't believe it too, because Canada is a super regulated country and uh, you cannot just just hide your body from Canada or from no, United States customers. Uh, yeah, but looks like you can. <laughs> <laughs> how did you, how did you get into, to, to big, well, before you answer that, so for, so very briefly, cause we'll come back to this. Um, how do, so we understand how centralized exchanges work. We understand somewhat how decentralized exchanges work, where essentially you have your own wallet with your own, let's just say ether in it. And then you put a, an order in, but until someone actually takes your order, your buy or sell, that's when the funds are actually transferred. So the you control all the funds until you actually start trading. Whereas on a centralized exchanges, the funds are there all the time unless you remove it. Um, how does an how do atomic swaps work? What does that mean? It sounds very like nuclear, confusing. But if someone can download your wallet right now, atomic wallet, and start using it almost instantly. So I mean, how does it work? And and how did you make it where the user experience can actually be something that people can use? So first of all, I like the name, like Atomic. It's called like oh, it sounds with cool. the first letter. <laughs> yeah, in the alphabet. And people also like the name. Oh, can I tell you something funny? So my friend has a jewelry store and the name of his company is A. Dot Tiffany and Son. And I said, what's the A dot? Like, is that an initial? And he says, no, because I'm the first in the phone book. A dot. A dot. Yeah. So you should be true, like man. A dot Atomic Wallet. You'll be always first. <laughs> yeah, that's true. When I, when I see the list of the wallets uh, on some websites, uh, I usually see Atomic in the first line. And I'm happy, like, well, <laughs> that's the right name. Started with the A. That works. No, it's actually very brilliant to name your company with with the first letter of the alphabet. So, um, well, well, in in, in Russian, how is Atomic Wallet spelled, and is it also the first letter? Uh yes, it's the same. I think A it's the first letter in the most languages all over the world. Perfect. So, how how do Atomic swaps work? Very like, don't get super technical. Mm -hmm. Well, you can get a little bit technical. Okay. Okay. I think everyone's pretty smart. Yeah, let let, let show. me ex get it. explain in a few words, like simple words. So first of all, you should understand that in Atomic Wallet, you fully control your private keys. Like you own your crypto, you control your private keys, and private keys never leave your device. So they are encrypted locally. So what does it mean? Like nobody, only you have access to these funds. And Atomic, it's, it's just an interface to sign your transactions and then placing them on the blockchain. That's the, the main difference between storing money in Atomic Wallet and on any centralized exchange. Like we called it like your keys, your crypto, like be your own bank in Atomic. So Atomic Swap, uh, it's some kind of uh, technology uh, when you uh, make a, some kind of a transaction on the blockchain, like you place the money in some kind of escrow 
escrow smart contracts or time locked contracts. Well, let's say it's escrow because most of the people they know what is escrow. And once you place the funds in escrow, another side you want to trade against someone. See, okay, this guy just placed funds in escrow. Uh, he he just do a check of the escrow and everything is happening automatically uh, through the simple interface. And uh, once another side like see, okay, everything is okay. So those guys willing to transfer, let's say one Bitcoin to my address. Once I deposit money to the same escrow on another chain. Like other side, just deposit funds to the uh, smart contract. And the second side, uh, but uh, the key from this contract, it's encrypted and it will be visible for the other side only once other side will uh, release the funds from the escrow. So other side just releasing funds and the key is visible for everyone. And, the and it all side, happens on the chain? Yes, it's everything is happening on chain. Like all the records, uh, all, all the transactions you see on chain. And it's impossible to steal this money because they are locked and on the other side can unlock them. Uh, so technically it sounds a bit complicated for users, but if you just... You did all the work for them, right? Yeah, you yeah. Built it it's always... So my mission is adoption of the technology for the regular users for the mass market. And You, you talk about adoption and I want to... I want to understand why, um, and I'll preface the question because, I mean, you got into the space, you actually ran an exchange before Changely, but then you co-founded Changely and it became one of the largest um, companies in the space. And Changely, um, you with Changely, you took, a, you took it the next step. So the first step was like centralized exchanges. Changely allowed for instant trading, but there's still a risk, right? So it removes a lot of the risk. So for example... You have Bitcoin, you want Ether, you go to Changely, you don't have to create an account or whatever, or you create an account, but it's really easy to do, um, takes a few seconds, you create an account, you say, I have Bitcoin, I want Ether, you put in your Ether address, your Ethereum address, you send Bitcoin to Changely, and within a few minutes, after a confirmation, Ether gets sent. Very easy. So it's not a centralized or decentralized exchange, it's an instant exchange that's centralized, but the risk is shorter and lower. But you weren't satisfied with that. I mean, you were running this company for a while. I worked with you. We worked together for for, for almost a year growing the company. I, I came on as an advisor and I loved it. But you took it a step further. You, you, you said to yourself, if this adoption is going to actually grow, I we need to get security better, privacy better, and risk of stealing customer funds lower. So I'm going to start Atomic Wallet. Why? Why would you do that? Like, aren't you tired? <laughs> yeah, so basically you're <laughs> right. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Because I was a bit tired after the previous hype. Like, in Changely, we grew up like 100 times in less than a year. And uh, like, let's say we have 10 people in a team. And uh, tomorrow your customer's number will grow up 100 times. And uh, like, it's going like a crazy business and uh, i spent about one one year in this hype and so i decided to step down uh, and actually I, I have some disagreement with a uh, change the main investor but i I, did. I guess i didn't think that you would start another company 
so quickly to do what you were doing before, but better, more secure, and better for the community itself. Most people would take some time off and travel the world or whatever, and maybe do something a little bit different or join a team. You're like, nope, I'm just I'm doing it all over again. And I mean, that's your that's your general business path. Um, seems like to be starting companies. Where did you get that? Uh, drive from? Where did you get that from? Was it something from your childhood growing up? Tell us about that. Yeah, I think I think so. Because uh, I started entrepreneurship like maybe over 10 years ago, like almost from from the beginning, like when I finished the university and I got a technical education. But on the last years of the university, I, I already started one company uh, then just we closed the company. I started the next company with my old business partner. Uh, and so I'm always just trying to find something to, to build something new and uh, to be the owner of the business, just to choose my own way, like how I want to do this. And uh, I just don't want to ask anyone, like, or anyone shouldn't tell me, like, what to do. And uh, that's why I like this way. And uh, that's only way for me. I, I don't see any other ways like to build something. <laughs> that's a great quote. You said, I don't want someone to tell me what to do because <laughs> I feel the same way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's, it, I, I think it's the nature of uh, myself. Uh, so, and let, let's get back to, okay, when I finished Changely, I started Atomic and what was the reason of uh, that? uh yeah once once i just did an internal exit from changely so atomic at that moment uh we almost built uh the main platform we built all the interfaces we just wrote right wrote down all the smart contracts for atomic swaps and uh, everything was ready to launch and we even got a twitter with uh, one thousand followers <laughs> at the time and people just nice they're just waiting for the solution and they're waiting i think uh they like atomic swaps and many people like uh like we are doing something new and we are doing adoption for technology but at this time many people they are looking for multi-currency wallet simply for the non-custodial multi-currency wallet because it was like only a few wallets who supports many altcoins and uh most of other wallets they suppose they support only a few and people people are looking for the solution just to to store their crypto and to store not on exchange but uh, a non-custodial wallet with a nice interface and three clicks like send receive exchange people want to have the best super high user experience with Good security, good privacy, but they want it to be easy to use, simple, download app, download the wallet, use it, um, and feel secure. That's that's what people that's what people want. I mean, and if you have a if you you know, if you're starting a company, and this is not just for for, for Bitcoin, let's get bigger here for a second. If you're if you're an entrepreneur and you're starting a company and you say to yourself, This is my idea, I'm gonna execute. Who is your market? Who is your demand? If you're trying to launch a product and say to yourself, I'm going to create demand, I'm going to create, I'm going to find, I'm going to make people want my product. You're already starting with a crutch. You're already starting with um, 
something that you're going to have to overcome. Whereas if your product is something that you know people need already, but more importantly, you know something that people want without people having to tell you, your company or product is going to be extremely successful. So in this case, you realized from your previous companies, what do users in this space want? But not only that, what do they need and what do we need as a, as a community? You married the two together and then you launched the company and it's been very successful and it's what people like. You have to know what people want without those people even knowing what they want. You just have to know and give them what they want. Give the people what they want. That's what they say. That's like in a famous movie. Yes, absolutely. I totally agree with you, Charlie. Uh, you just, you should feel your customers like very well, like, and you, but, but you also should have a, some kind of a vision. You should, you should know where the market will go. Like you should expect that movements and it's like, you can open the company in a, like so-called red ocean where a lot of competitors and everyone is doing the same, like, uh, but you see, okay, it's a business model. It's uh, like a proven business model. You can uh, you can easily do some kind of a business. But if you wanted to 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 build something new and something huge, uh, you should have a vision. Like you should understand where the market will go next five years or at least a few years. I'm so honored that Untold Stories is sponsored by Etoro. Etoro is the smartest crypto trading platform and one of the largest in the world with over a trillion dollars in trading volume per year. What I really love about Etoro is that the CEO has been around the Bitcoin space since 2012, so they really, really put their money where their mouths are. US customers, myself included, we can trade the most popular crypto assets, in fact, almost all of the ones that you want to trade with low but transparent fees. So you actually know what you're paying for everything. And that's really, really, really important. So if you're not ready to trade yet, you can practice building your portfolio with the eToro $100,000 virtual trading feature. So you can create this whole portfolio without trading with any real money to see how you'll do. And you can learn all the different ins and outs without using any real money yet. And then once you're comfortable, you can enter the market and start buying and selling crypto for real. Best of all, one of my favorite features is that you can connect with 11 million other eToro traders in the world, myself included. And we can talk trading, charts, and all things crypto. So listen, head on over to eToro.com. Links are in the show notes and build your crypto portfolio the smart way. I'd like to thank my sponsor of Untold Stories, Scott Offord. Scott is a Bitcoin mining consultant and provides managed miner hosting services in Texas. If you need to get at least 25 megawatts of miners online in the next three months, Scott wants to talk with you right now. Contact him on Telegram or Twitter at O-F-F-O-R-D-S-C-O-T-T. He's offering an all-in rate of 6.5 cents per kilowatt an hour. Wow, that's like... Super cheap. That's like electricity cost in the Arctic where things are automatically cooled because it's so cold. So he's offering 6.5 cents per kilowatt an hour without any CapEx required. Or if you commit to $170,000 per megawatt up front, he can get you a rate of 5 cents per kilowatt. Am I reading that right? 5 cents per kilowatt? That's unbelievable. Scott can get your first 25 megawatt hashing within 16 weeks from the date of signing. 
All the infrastructure, power lines, substations, water lines, and buildings are fully owned by the hosting company. By the end of March 2020, they will already have 150 megawatts online in Texas. This is such a super cool ad to record because my listeners are learning about mining now. Like this is this is really interesting. I, I didn't even know half this half this stuff before I met Scott and he started sponsoring the show. So make sure you check out Scott on Telegram and Twitter at O-F-F-O-R-D-S-C-O-T-T. And Scott, thank you again for being my first ever Untold Story sponsor. Where, where is this market going to... Usually I ask this question at the end of the episode, but you have uh, some really big ideas on where you think the market and the industry is going to go. I mean, where do you think it's going to go? I had um, Vinny Lingham on the episode. I just released it today and he's like, um, 2020 is going to be one of the most difficult years for, for, for Bitcoin and crypto in general. I mean, where do you see us in a year, five years, 10 years? Uh, <clears throat> even maybe in the short term, the industry is uh, like experiences some lack of interest and uh, lack of new ideas. Unfortunately, like the previous huge idea was uh, invention of Ethereum, was a smart contracts, was a tokens. Everyone, everyone can create his own token and write some kind of a smart contract and uh, it drives all the market. Uh, <clears throat> uh, honestly, I don't see the huge ideas on the market currently like uh, it's similar to the smart contracts. Uh, I expect the adoption of the technology for sure um, and I see so many people especially from the Bitcoin communities that don't like Ether uh, but I like the innovation, and so I see. I hope that decentralized finance will grow. Uh, but it's it's not much. It's not enough for the industry. Uh, so I expect uh, for so-called enterprise coins like. Uh, What's an enterprise coin? <clears throat> let's say you're a huge organization and you just want to issue your own token to use it token between the your workers or your customers it's the same like facebook trying to do with libra it's some kind of enterprise coin you think other other major companies will do something like this like like large global organizations like not just facebook you think they'll they'll launch their own coins yeah once i once they see the facebook uh, will succeed with libra anytime and the region they will try to do the same i'm pretty sure like everyone is looking like what will happen with libra so will it be successful or will they just win the fight with the regulation with congress or once it's i think it's like a river you cannot stop the river you can build some kind of walls uh, and for they will just uh, save you from the water for some time but the river should go who who do you think um, would be the next Fortune 500 company. I mean, um, I guess I didn't. I, I guess Costa. I didn't. I, I knew that corporate coins. This was coming, but in my head. But I guess I didn't see Facebook as being the first one. I thought maybe we'd see like Visa or Mastercard or like a large financial services company. But I guess I didn't think which I, my wife says I don't do a lot sometimes. I'm just joking. Uh, I didn't think that um, a social media company would be the first company to launch their own coin to get in the financial services space. Um, I mean, what do you, not to spend too much time on it, but what do you think of Libra? Um, because a lot of my guests love it. Some of them hate it. I, it, it goes back and forth. Every, everyone's different. 
Uh, at the same time, I love it and I hate it. I love it for the mass adoption. I love it for the idea that someone, huge company, should pu- push the industry to the next level. And so you see the congressmen, they don't afraid about the Bitcoin because they suppose the Bitcoin is too small for them. Uh, but when they see like Facebook, they are going to launch their own cryptocurrency and it's a treat to the United States dollar. And they are just started to thinking like, what can we do with this? Should we control it? Or, uh, But it's a huge step for the industry. That's what I like it. A positive or a negative step? In terms of uh, industry growth, it's a positive step. In terms of uh, government's control or Facebook control or Libra, it's a negative. Because people, they don't really care. Is it centralized or decentralized? Who controls this currency? Is it controlled by 10 Facebook validators? Uh, Like it's completely, it's quite centralized. Or is it not controlled like a Bitcoin? And what's the supply? Is it limited or not? Like can we print more money? Or how, how, what what is the difference between dollar and Libra? (laughs) Nothing. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That's true. I'll tell you what the difference is. You ready for my answer, Costa? I'll tell you what the difference is. Sure. The difference is what I what I learned from Libra and watching the government, you know, hearings and 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 listening to the feedback on Twitter and just being all over. My thought, my first thought was, you ready? Wow. Americans trust our business companies to to with monetary policy more then we trust our government with monetary policy. We trust our companies to issue money more than we trust our government to issue money. And I'm not saying I believe one way or the other. I'm just saying that's what kind of the feedback and the, the, the response I felt, not from people in the crypto space, but from my aunt or from people, family members or people that I know, my friend, my cousin, people that are not in crypto. This is the feedback. Oh, oh, it's Facebook Libra is kind of cool. Yeah. I'll use it. Um, The dollar? Yeah, stupid. What do you think? (laughs) Why are you laughing? It's true, though. It's scary. (laughs) So people trust Facebook more than the United States dollar. You said that. (laughs) That's the feedback that I got. Not that I believe that one way or the other, but that's the feeling that I got. And and let me tell you something more. If, If it wasn't such a big deal, why... Is Mark Zuckerberg, why is David Marcus, why are these people going in front, having to testify in front of the Congress about Libra when it's not even launched yet? It won't be launched for years because they see it as something that maybe not a threat, maybe not something scary, but they see it as a formidable thing that needs to be, you know, kept under their supervision. Yeah. Okay. But I think that finally it will be launched. Like it, it, yes, it will. I think it will. I think it'll launch, and I think it'll be very controversial, and it'll launch, but it will. Yeah, it will. It will. And at the same time, like if you remember, and the next day after the Facebook, uh, after that, Mark Zuckerberg uh, had a conversation, had a in the Congress, uh, like China president, he told like, okay, we will invest everything in the blockchain, and we will <laughs> issue <laughs> our own currency and the blockchain. Yep. Yeah. That's cool. It's two countries. Uh, they are looking for uh, to control the, the the new digital money. 
I think. So someone should do this. And it's a competition again. So, you know, you think that it's good and it's bad. And I guess at this point we can talk about it, but we'll see what happens over time. We'll see how how Facebook grows it. We'll see how they how the, the Libra Foundation does. There are some Bitcoiners, you know, like Wences on the board. So I guess that's a good thing. Um, and we'll see, we'll see how that how that pans out. Um, I want to ask you, I want to ask another question. Um, compl- a diff- a, I want to go to a different topic um, for a second. So um, when, when we read the news about Bitcoin, about crypto, and you read about an exchange hack, you know, it, it happens, doesn't happen as often as it did. But when it did, and, and when it did, and even if it happens now, we're almost all like desensitized to it. We don't take it. We don't, we're not as shocked now. Do, do you agree with that? When, when you see an exchange hack or exit scam, you're not as shocked as you used to be, right? Yeah, I, I, I'm not shocking about any hacks. Like, and I think it will Because happen. it happens so much. We're, we're, we're not sensitive to it anymore. So I guess my question is, what I want to tell you is that, so, so, so you'll see um, an exchange get hacked. You'll see, you'll see something happen, exit scam or whatever it is. It could be an exchange. It could be a token. It could be um, an ICO. It could be anything. And then you see people post, hey, there's a, here are the addresses that the hacker got the money. Um, here it is. Please tell all the exchanges to block it and everything like that. And it, 99% of the time, not, it doesn't work. Because once the hacker has the money, it's very difficult to, to stop it or get it back. But there was one time where a very well-known person in the community, Bo Shen, got hacked. And the hacker almost was able to run away with millions of dollars. But you were able to help. Can you tell me about that? Yeah, this is a true story, and uh, it's happened maybe three years ago, and uh, it's uh, uh, someone just uh, do a sim swapping uh, for the Bosch and uh, wallet for the Bosch and phone. What is sim swapping, and, and how does that work? Sim swapping is the most common uh, practice to hack your wallets. Like uh, people use centralized services, or even they use like. Uh, this, they, they can store um, even if you uh, store crypto in the non-custodial wallet. Some people just store the backup online. They store twelve. They simply store twelve words backup on Google Docs. <laughs> so Google can 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 even. I can't believe that. Yeah, yeah, it's mm-hmm. a reality. And uh, we always teach people not to do this, just to write them down, their breakup. But okay, some people just trust Google. And Google can't even know, like, it's 12 words or something, so Google don't care about it. But hackers care. So also, if you have a protection, uh, like so-called uh, two-factors protection, 2FA protection for your, for your Gmail, for your email, and it's a two waves of 2FA. Like first one is uh, uh, you can receive a short message on your mobile phone to confirm is it you or not if someone trying to change your password. And the second way is uh, a special application to get a special code. Like many people just think, okay, I'm only one guy who owns this mobile and uh, my mobile phone is always with me. I will get a message to my mobile phone and it's okay for security. But the reality is it's quite easy to make the duplicate SIM card, to make the second SIM card with the same number and same IMA, so-called SIM card identification number. 
so I know that some people in uh, mobile operators, uh, maybe some low-level employees, uh, they do this for money. And they do the same SIM card with the same number. So it's not just hackers um, getting in. It's people that work for the phone companies. And now Michael Turpin is suing AT&T for like $50 million or some crazy number like that. <laughs> oh. Uh, yeah, yeah. So what happened with Bo? He kept his passwords in a Google Doc, and then what what account was the hacker able to get? I, I don't know the exact reason how the hack happened, and uh, it's only my thoughts, and I see some kind of, uh, okay, most likely it was a 2FA hack, like with a SIM card swapping. And uh, someone just stole the money, maybe from centralized uh, exchange account from Bosch and or whatever. But it doesn't matter. It was most likely it was a SIM swap. Uh, someone stole the money and sent them to part of the money was sent to Polonix, part of the money was sent to Changely, and at the time it was maybe f- few hundred bitcoins and tokens, like few hundred bitcoins is around two million dollars. Uh, and the hacker is he's trying to exchange. He's trying to exchange anonymously. Uh, uh, we are changely, and uh, we just got the first portion of uh, tokens. We exchanged them. Uh, actually, we worked at the time with Poloniex mostly, so we just do a background trading on Poloniex order book. So we were the corporate customers of Poloniex. Uh, we just did the first trade. We just did the second trade, and on the third trade. Uh, we just saw something suspicious. Like at the time, we had uh, some kind of uh, mo- uh, finance financial monitoring for transactions, and uh, we got alerted. Like it's something suspicious, and uh, we just blocked a few deposits, next deposits. Uh, so the hacker he just sent us uh, maybe five or six or even seven transactions one after the next once he realized that the previous one exchanges it worked uh also polonix they stopped uh, our accounts they stopped withdrawal from our, our corporate trading account uh and they messaged me uh at the time we had, we had a chat with polonix and skype <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh so i miss the days when you can talk to like all the ceos and people who work for the companies and with skype now everyone uses telegram yeah yeah that's true and all this chat from anti-scam chats from skype they moved to telegram and even the same guys from polonix they organized uh, now they don't work for polonix but doesn't matter the same guys they organized a huge uh chat for all the ceos of all the exchanges and i'm still there uh, so uh, we just blocked the funds and uh, just waiting. For- wait, 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 wait. So, so there's a chat room that you're in. That's all the CEOs of all the exchanges still on Skype. Not a Skype, but Telegram. Uh, can you add me to that one too? Uh, no, I'm just joking. I don't want to be in that group. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's people. They are still sharing information about the stolen funds. But as you, the reality, as you told, like uh, it's helped only like. What typically goes on? What's the purpose of that group? I understand why it would be smart to get all the CEOs together for a situation like this. But does uh, anything still be talked about in that group? Like, do they help each other out? I mean, give us some insight that you have that we don't have. You don't have to mention names, of course, or companies, but 
kind of tell us what you can. Yeah, it's a group of the most, uh, the biggest exchanges, and uh, I see the CEOs of these exchanges, and I see also like uh, guys who managed AML services, uh, financial controlling services, and uh, so usually people exchange information like when the big hack happens. So they share information like, guys, here's stolen funds uh, addresses. So if someone got deposit from these addresses, please block them. Uh, but sometimes it works, sometimes not. Uh, I think it's, honestly, I think it's not so effective. Like if it's a huge hack, like 7,000 Bitcoins from Binance half a year ago, maybe it's pretty easy to track the funds. Like even if you send the funds on various addresses, it's pretty easy. But if it's not so big hex, you can easily do a coin mixing with different addresses, some services or wallets. Uh, they allow you to do this even with a Bitcoin. And in some cases, it helps, but not all the time. But at least it's better than to have these groups and to have uh, the exchange of information about stolen funds rather than nothing. Could could there be? You think? Um, do you think there could be something? Do you think there could be something where um, that group could be used negatively? Like government try to come in and say, "Hey, we want to blacklist this user because he's you know." But I guess these exchanges have compliance offices already. So if there is someone who's trying to create an account at the exchange, that's like a terrorist or something or arms trafficker, the exchange really wouldn't open the account. In fact, dude, I, I can't pass compliance at a lot of places. Like I, I don't have a Coinbase account because I, they, they deny me. Um, there's a few exchanges where I can't get accounts. They close my accounts because I, I'm not sure, I guess because I'm a felon or something. <laughs> That's funny. So you can't even open it's Coinbase accounts. I can't open a Coinbase account. Um, I can't open a Coinbase account. I don't have a Bitfinex account. I, I I'll be honest. I don't have an account at most exchanges. Um, the only exchanges I have accounts at are the ones that I opened up like in 2012 or 2011 because <laughs> I've had those accounts for so long. But no, no, no. Like seriously, like Gemini, any of the real exchanges, I, they won't allow. And then the thing is like, um, like with Bitstamp, for example, um, you know, Nate's it, it, one of the oldest exchanges, Bitstamp, he's a good friend of mine. And so I tried opening up, you know, I had a, an old Bitstamp account. And he messaged me and he's like, I have to close your account. And I said, why? And this was when I first got arrested. And I said, and I knew why. And he's like, I just want to tell you that like, I, I'm the CEO. I want to keep your account open. I, I love you. You're a good friend of mine. But my compliance officer said, we have to close your account. And I understood. I, listen, because I don't give a shit. It doesn't matter to me. You know, like I'm not really trading on a day-to-day -day basis anyways. Um, I want my friend's companies to succeed. And if I'm going to be a problem for them, then I don't care. You know what I mean? Like I want you to succeed. And if, if, if my account is going to cause you problems, then don't give me a account. I don't give a shit. Yeah. So I totally understand you, Charlie. Yeah, for sure. If the government, they asking to, to stop, to close one's account, they just message the exchange the compliance officer. will do this for, for sure. And that's why I don't like custody business. Like someone can tell you like, okay, close this operation. Yeah, I know it's a custody. Do you think we'll move away? Do you think we'll move away from custody exchanges and wallets over time? Do you think eventually, like long term, I'm talking about like super long term, mm -hmm. we just won't have custodial exchanges anymore because it'll be just come, become too too much of a burden? Not just exchanges, but wallets or any services where there's custody or will 
Well, these companies say like we need to figure out how to non be fully custodial so we don't have to deal with a lot of these regulations and stuff. Yeah, honestly, I believe in non-custodial services, at least uh, in terms of the wallet services, because like it's the nature of the crypto. And uh, so I think that most people once at times they realize like, okay, you can buy coins on Coinbase, but to store that coins, it's better to use Atomic. And many of our customers, they just, initially bought the Bitcoin or some other crypto on the Coinbase and they, they moved funds to Atomic. And it's normal situation. Um, so they realized, like, if you want to own your cryptos, like, own your keys, like, use non-custodial services. But in terms of uh, speculation, in terms of trading businesses, and many people in crypto, they are still doing speculation, unfortunately. But I think it will be changed in the next years. Uh, right now, um, I read a, I read a study on the block that right now, um, by the way, the block has good data, but it's expensive, but I think it's worth it. I have to maybe I'll try it out. It's like a few thousand dollars a year. But anyway, sorry, they put out a good report that was free, but it's for people who pay. That says that the largest employer in crypto right now are companies that deal with speculation. So that's exchanges, that's trading, things like that. It's the largest employer. The companies that offer the most jobs in the crypto space are are those companies. Do you see that changing? You're you're technically one of those companies, even though you're a wallet. You also deal with atomic swaps and trading instant exchange. Do you think that'll change? Do you think that'll change over time? People will will speculate less because now, like speculation and trading crypto is a huge part of the industry. Huge part of the industry. I think it's the biggest part of the industry. It's still biggest part. And I saw this uh, reports, and I also saw that a lot of people are still involved in mining companies. And yeah, mining is still really big too. Yeah, yeah. And uh, what is good for us, uh, like most of our operations in Atomic Wallets, it's happening on-chain. Like we are running a few nodes, and but we are not responsible for your money. And that's why I'm sleeping well. Like, guys, I'm not responsible for money. Like you're responsible for your own backup, and I'm sleeping well of this. I provide you security solution with a simple interface. Yeah, but it's pretty cool. And another pretty cool thing, like, Atomic is a decentralized wallet, so we can just see like 10 more, 10 times more customers or even like 100 more customers. We just add a few nodes, like in a cluster of the nodes, uh, and that's okay, and it's pretty easy to scale. Uh, and that's why I love non-custodial businesses. Yes, but for trading... I think people will still, many people will still use uh, centralized exchanges, especially if you even touch fiat money. Uh, it's the best way for you to open account somewhere. Uh, and yeah, I think the industry will still exist on centralized trading services. And it's the only way where you can do a high frequency trading, algorithmical trading, and something else. But if the regulation, became stronger and stronger like as you see many of huge exchanges like Binance or Huobi or Orkex they, they just closed American operations they just refused American closed American accounts and but people still like tokens still like to trade somewhere and here's Dex okay and it's a backup plan 
what I, that's what that's what I see. Like it depends on the regulation. Where where will regulations be in in a few years? I don't know exact answer. I don't like politics. I don't like any kind of regulation. But I understand uh, that it should be because so the ICO times and many people got scammed and uh, it's only now uh, the sick uh, they are trying to find. Uh, those ICOs and uh, in terms of regulation it should be something like to avoid scams to avoid the direct scams like because the people are greedy and so many people are still not well educated and they don't know like what is crypto maybe I buy this coin or buy this token or they promised me the huge income like okay I'll buy them oh I got scammed like and so the regulation should be uh, mm, even if I don't like it, uh, but it shouldn't be some uh, crypto anarchy. <laughs> it's like two ways. You know when? Mm-hmm. No, you're right. And 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 you brought up another good point that I want to that I want to really point out. And it's not it's not talked about enough. Like you look at crypto Twitter, you look at conferences, you look at even the conversation that you and I are having right now. Um, the crypto industry in the past ten years has grown, and you know, the market is definitely the mistakes have been made, but it's grown. And, and, and we're here today. We are here today, even having this conversation. You're here today. The CEO of a large company. We're here today, largely because we were left alone. Right. We were here because our over the past 10 years I mean, and not 100 percent, but over the past 10 years, we were allowed to kind of grow the industry do the business and do it without borders, do it without politics, without religion, without sexual preference, without race, all these different things. I mean, look at us today. You and I are friends. We've traveled together. We've worked together. Um, you were born and raised in Russia. I was born and raised in New York. Um, in any other industry, we probably would have never met, never talked to each other. But, you know, unless we were like having a drinks or having some food we never really talk about like politics, you know, or we never really get into arguments. It doesn't really matter. It's like above us. Yes. You and I talk about family. We talk about our friends. And I think you and I have learned that although there's like a, a huge language barrier, although your English is, is almost perfect. Um, we have a lot in common, right? We have a lot in common. And, and so I, I, I like to point that out as a, as a benefit of this industry that we've largely been left alone, but it has allowed us, you know, like coastal, like, Let's be real for a second. Um, the political world today is fucked up. Like it's fucked up. Like our governments, especially in the West, are telling us to hate other people because then they have the power to tell us what to do. And I don't like that. I don't like that. That why do we have to hate other people? Why do we have to do that? Why, you know, there's this fear that's growing now. It's like, oh, in America, the Russians are bad, the Chinese are bad. But why? That's not fair. I, do, I I'm friends with you. I, I you're a close friend. I. I do business with you. I do business with people in China and I'm close friends with them all the time. I invite them to my wedding. I mean, so why is it that the government can tell me that I should hate this other person? And so the way that we've been able to to avoid that is this industry. Yeah, Charlie, it's a very good point. And I, I also thought about it a lot. Like when I started to work in crypto industry around five years ago, and I re- even realized that the community is so international. And today I can talk to American guys tomorrow with some Chinese, you're right. 
and uh, day after tomorrow I talk to some German guys and later he's a Brazilian. But we're all the same. You don't think of them as German guys or as American. Like we all, we're all in this space. It's like who you are and what you do in this space is more important, you know, and your, your ethics and are you trustworthy? Do you have integrity? Those are more important than where you are, what religion, what color is the color of your skin? What, you know, all these different things, those are like secondary. And I think that's one of the only things that really keeps me going in this space, you know? Yeah. And also the same, same opinion for me. And the good point for it's a Bitcoin, it's connecting people. And another good point, I have partners all over the world. And when I just need to pay for some services, I just push the button, one click, send Bitcoin and whatever. I don't know where the people live. It's like, we chatted today in Telegram. Tomorrow we have a Zoom call. And I don't know what is the time zone. I don't care. Like, what's your religion? How do you look like? And But I always like to drink with you in person, for sure. <laughs> but I agree with yeah. you. So, so, so what's next for you? Are you going to start another company? Or are you going to try to sell Atomic Wallet? What's next for Costa? Uh, it, it depends for sure. It depends on the market. Uh, but basically, I love the wallets. I love non-custodial service. It's like the basic. It's like your own bank in your pocket. Like you just take your mobile phone and you control all the funds. You can use additional services. And so we provide the basic services. And my goal is to provide them even better. I know what to do. I know how to improve the wallets. I know how to improve technologically. And so we will integrate more partners. Uh, or even I got some Bitcoins. <laughs> it's notifications from from Atomic. Uh, someone just... Oh, right now? That's so funny. Someone just sent me, yeah. I think maybe it's a commission from partner. Okay. <laughs> it's yeah, because we have implemented notifications not, not a long time ago and each time when I got some bitcoins, I'm just oh, oh. <laughs> I got some bitcoins. Cool. <laughs> I'll take some. No, no problem. <laughs> okay. So, and uh I I just I just love the products. I love the basic products and I believe it's a basic like you're just your own bank. It's a good product and it works. Yeah, that's true. And and I love, and even mm, I cannot say that I, I, I like the Bitcoins so much. I like Bitcoins for sure. Uh, but in terms of the products, I like uh, feedback from the users. And sometimes I see like, okay, exchange volume is going down. Bitcoin price is going down. I should pay salary. I have 25 people or even more now in my team. And in the two days, it's salary day. I should pay a lot for them. But uh, sometimes I'm afraid. Sometimes I'm scared. It's normal for every inter entrepreneurial, uh, entrepreneurial guy. Uh, but, but then I just read the new feedbacks on Trustpilot or in the chat or in the Google Play. And people, they just say, thank you, guys. You have a wonderful product. It's the best wallet I have ever tested and I ever had. Like, And it's a feedback from all over the world. Costa, like, thank you so much for coming on the show. And people can download the wallet on their iPhone, Android, desktop, Mac, Windows um, at AtomicWallet.io to be able to use atomic swaps and transfer from one coin to another, um, non-custodial, no centralized exchanges, the, the lowest risk possible. Thank you for, for leading the charge and pioneering that infrastructure and for 
pushing us to to really do better and be better in in this space and i wish you all the best and success i hope i can see you soon and thank you so much for coming on the show New episodes go live every Tuesday at 7 a.m. EST. Links to our Apple and Spotify channels are in the show notes. You can also follow me on Twitter, Charlie Shrem, to continue the conversation. See you next week.